Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Well, welcome to another episode of the Addy Hour. It's been my pleasure to continue to engage with you all in these conversations. And today I'm really excited to welcome two special guests to the program to talk about a really important topic. Our first guest is Stacy D. Stewart, and Stacy is the president and CEO of the March of Dimes, where she has been in that role since 2017, and she heads the organization that really is leading the fight for the health of moms and babies. Prior to joining the March of Dimes, she was actually the president of the uh, United Way, the nation's largest nonprofit organization, and served in that role even prior to being president in that organization, was also the executive vice president of Community Impact Leadership and Learning, where she developed global partnerships to advance community impact in more than 40 countries. So definitely a person who has had a lot of impact in a lot of ways. Um, she's had she's a business veteran who's had a lot of different senior roles, has a background in finance and investment banking, and continues to serve on lots of different national boards and in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. So I'm thrilled, excited, and honored to welcome Stacey Stewart to the program today. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely looking forward to the conversation. Our next, our next guest is Angelina Spicer. Angelina is a comedian, social media influencer, and accidental activist, a cum laude graduate of Howard. Uh, Angelina is known for her deep and authentic comedy. She's had just outstanding success. Has been, you know, her her videos and her content has been viewed more than ninety million times in more than forty five countries. Um, she was a regular sketch performer on Jimmy Kimmel Live and on Conan, has also appeared on Ellen and on The Real. And in 2017, Angelina also became an outspoken advocate for maternal mental health after her own diagnosis and hospitalization with postpartum depression. But in addition to that, she's also been working with lawmakers in California and on Capitol Hill to implement laws to support early maternal health. Has worked with lots of different organizations, including Cedars-Sinai Hospital, Postpartum Support International, the World Health Organization, and others, and is currently in production on the Push for Permission, a feature-length documentary that uses comedy to empower women to advocate for themselves and to normalize postpartum depression. So I'm grateful and honored to welcome Angelina to the program today as well. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course, my pleasure. And as we talked offline before we even started, my my goal today is to see if I can keep up with the energy in the room, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited and honored, though. Um, but I've been really looking forward to this for several different reasons, which I've alluded to already. 
Um, one, just because of the impact and the influence that both of you had have um, as black women in our society. I think that's so important, so important for us to elevate and to continue to amplify. And just the important topics that you've both been talking about and the impact you've had policy-wise as well. I think that's really impressive. Um, the other piece that I think we'll get to as we go through is just also your roles as strong black women. And we may be able to dive into that conversation and talk about the mixed reactions to that term itself, the pluses and the minuses that come with that. But I think it's important for us to be able to acknowledge that here as well. Um, but as my listeners know, I always like to check in and see how people are doing overall. So with all the roles that you both have, I imagine you have very busy schedules. I just wanted to see how you're doing today and how you continue to balance that on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, so Stacey, if we could start with you. Yeah, no, it's uh, rare that even someone asks in a sort of a genuine, authentic way. And people mm. always say, how are you doing? And you just kind of say, great. And uh, it may not always be great. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for asking. I'm, I'm doing, I actually am doing pretty well today. Uh, I'm a little tired from watching some Olympics and mm. I, I, my, my bedtime gets pushed back to earlier and earlier. So if it's past 10 o'clock now, I'm like kind of exhausted the next mm. day, which is kind of bad. Um, but it's actually been great. And I guess um, it's interesting that we're talking about mental health things today, because I think what's been weighing heavily on my mind with the Olympics are just the incredible issues mm. of Simone Biles mm -hmm. and Naomi Osaka mm -hmm. and Shikari and all of these mm. black women mm who are stellar, like world-class athletes and mm -hmm. just the level of, uh, you know, if they're feeling the pressure of day-to-day -day life, just imagine what the rest of us normal yeah. people feel, you know? Um, but just how how interesting it is that the, the theme of mental health among mm -hmm. black women athletes is mm -hmm. really showing up in a big way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I know that's not exactly on the topic, but it is around mental health generally. Yeah. Um, so I just, it, that's actually been ironically heavy on my mind, but I'm doing great and uh, everything's good and it's summer. So yeah, it's, uh, it's hot, but it's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Glad to hear that. And I appreciate the way that you're honest in that, com you know, that, that answer as well. And even some of the topic, I mean, you're talking about paying attention to your own sleep. Too. So we are going to have yes. an episode coming up just talking about the importance of sleep and how that intersects yes. with our mental health. And it's great to hear that you're attentive to that in your own life. And yeah, as you mentioned with, with our black female athletes, all the pieces that are coming to light now, which I think it's really important for us to be able to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and in some ways, you know, we know those things have been there for a while, but we haven't had the space or the opportunity to really shed light on it like we should. So I think it's challenging and, and, and a struggle for many, but also an opportunity for us to really be supportive of these athletes and open up the conversation much more than it's been in the past. So I appreciate you bringing that in as well. Yeah. Angelina, what about you? How are you doing? Well, I am currently on my hashtag postpartum revolution road trip. Mm. Uh, it's my sort of uh, missionary work to take postpartum depression mm -hmm early on the road across the country, mm -hmm. raising awareness and shooting my documentary about postpartum depression, meeting with lawmakers. Mm -hmm. um, and this is my first tour, both as a comedian, as oh, an wow. entertainer. And when you ask, how am I doing? I'm doing very, very, very well. I am so overwhelmed mm. with purpose. Mm right now and overwhelmed with the support that 
it's being made very clear to me that I am doing what I was placed here to do. And I'm just very thankful for God's yes and of my request. Mm. And, um, you know, I've been on the road, so I've been eating like crazy and not sleeping well and managing schedules and panelists and shows and everything. But today was the first day that I took time for myself to work out for Mm. the first time since my tour. And I lifted a little weights. I got my jump rope in and I feel great. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. And thanks for sharing that. I mean, I think there's so much in what you shared as well. Even in the last episode that we had, we were talking about just that aspect of purpose and how that impacts our mental health. And it sounds like in a lot of ways, even though this is the first tour, maybe not the first time that you're in your purpose, but it's, it's a, it sounds like it's a whole nother level that everything is kind of just tying in together, which yes. I think is great. So, actually, so good. yeah, it's so good. Must feel <laughs> fulfilling and gratifying in a lot of ways. To yes. follow up briefly, though, even with your answer, I'm curious because you mentioned all the busyness of the tour, too. Yes. So it's not that what you're doing is stress-free or mm-hmm. easy. So how are, you, how are you staying in that place of where you're able to answer and say, I'm doing really well amidst all of the scheduling and traveling? And all, is, that, is that because you're doing your purpose? Are there other things that you have put in place that are allowing that to happen? I'm just, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I'm a planner. And plans, making plans, executing my plans are always sort of my checks and balances on how I execute things. So that helps my peace of mind going in if I know that I have a plan. Mm. Uh, But because this is my first tour (laughs) and I'm traveling with a crew of 10 uh, camera people and sound people and we're traveling in a 40 foot RV across the country, there's a lot of variables, but because of the women that I'm meeting in each of these cities and because of the openness that lawmakers have Mm. to meet with me and the yeses that I'm getting, Mm. you know, I'm taking chances, but I'm getting yeses that meet the, the, the risks Mm -hmm. that feels good. That's fueling me. Mm. Because I feel like, okay, I'm taking a risk and it's actually working. Yeah. Okay. I guess we're doing this. Yep. This is it. Okay. Yep. So yes, if you, <laughs> that's how I'm managing. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, I mean, in a sense too, you're getting that, you know, not to get too much into my psychology and neuroscience, but that positive reinforcement of taking that risk and then seeing it come to fruition and then being willing to take that next risk and then just having that, that feedback. So I think that that's outstanding in a lot of ways. So thank you. And to add up a little bit, how did the two of you come into contact together? I know you work together in different ways, but how, how did that story come about? Whoever I'll wants let Stacey to, uh... take this question. <laughs> I'm trying to think, how did we, I mean, I think it was kind of maybe through social media. Well, first of all, I know, Angelina, you were connected with March Nimes out in LA anyway. Um, and then I was it through, just to kind of through social media and connecting and then we got you involved in some stuff and you were involved with March for Moms, which is another organization and we're connected to them too. And, and then, you know, what was it? It was pre-pandemic. So we had dinner together and we talked about like how we could do more together. Mm. You know, I just think in some of these spaces where a lot of maternal health people are kind of coming together, especially around black maternal health, we're all meeting new people and connecting Mm -hmm. with people and forming alliances and partnerships and, you know, we were, um, 
when Angelina first started talking about um, the postpartum revolution and like this whole um, effort um, to get this comedy special going, I don't think a lot of people really believed in it or felt like it was really important. Mm. And she really stayed on with this vision. Mm. I think I chipped in some money personally, very small. And then it's led to us kind of being in partnership with her on this whole tour thing and being a, you know, so anyway, it just, I think there are just a lot of, um, you know, I mean, that's how it should really develop is that like you start to meet people, expand, you grow. Um, and, you know, she's been such a passionate sort of, and a very interesting voice in the mm. space of maternal mm. health that it made a lot of sense for us to figure out how we could be more supportive of her work and uh, really partner so we could reach more women for sure. Mm. Yeah. But is yeah. that right? Am I missing? I'm missing something, aren't I? I don't know. No, you're not, Stacey. I, I, I meet people on social media all the time. I don't always meet CEOs on social media. <laughs> when I met a black woman CEO from March of Dimes, I was like, what? Let me find out. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't going to say it, Stacey. That's why I allowed you to answer the question first because I wasn't sure what we were actually going to say. But yes, Stacey and I met on social media. She and slid I, in my DMs, but not I, in the <laughs> Stacey DMs. And I was so honored that she replied and that I felt a connection. And, you know, I came to uh, the March for Moms and I usually participate every year and speak Mm -hmm. at their rally on the National Mall and participate in their advocacy day. But Stacey was like, we have to go to dinner. I want to take you to dinner. Mm. And we had dinner and we put on lipstick. We took our selfies. And I was just like, I felt so connected, Mm. but also left feeling like I want to be in, in partnership with March of Dimes because of Stacey. So I've been ringing the bells and advocating. I mean, even when we're not technically in partnership like we are right now on the hashtag postpartum revolution road trip, I make sure at all of my events, I have March of Dimes resources for my moms and for un- for folks that come to my events but aren't even expecting to be lectured about postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. no, here, take a March of Dimes pamphlet. Here's some resources for you. I make sure right. that uh, that I lean into the work that they're doing uh, with all of my events and all of mm-hmm. my uh, work that I do. Yeah, that's great. yeah. I think that speaks to both, you know, the authenticity that both of you have just in your interactions with each other and just how you come across. It seems like you really vibed off of that when you first interacted to and first met and have that common cause too. So it's really exciting to hear, I mean, all the important work that you're doing. You both allude to some of the pushback though, that you got early on and I would, or people not believing in the mission. I'm just curious if you could elaborate on why that is, especially in this day and age when there seems to be more conversation about, but there's always still that pushback. Yeah. Where do you think that's coming from? Well, I, I'll start, Angelina. I think, so there's pushback in a number of different things. I mean, I think, first of all, you know, in the country, we, were, we weren't even having these conversations around maternal health generally, physical, mental, any kind of, <laughs> um, you know, women, because I think a lot of it is that women generally are not, prioritized in this country the way we should be. And then certainly pregnant women are yeah. not. It's appalling though that in a in a, a you know society like ours, we wouldn't be putting as much priority on the lives of moms and babies. I mean it's just striking 
Um, and, you know, we obviously we talk a lot about the fact that, you know, we are considered the most dangerous developed nation in the world in which to give birth now. Mm. How in the U.S. do we find that at any level acceptable? Right. Mm. And and so I think it's just been, you know, I honestly I think what's happening is that the storytelling is beginning to break through. I mean, mm. Angelina telling her story. Uh, Beyonce telling her story, mm-hmm. Serena telling her story, or someone like a Charles Johnson telling his story about Kira mm-hmm. who died, you know, in a, in a hospital in LA. You know, um, once those story t- storytelling we know is very powerful. So March of Dimes can be ringing the bell all day, and we have been talking about premature birth for a long time. But when those act- when those stories start to break through, it changes the whole narrative, changes the uh, public awareness. It and sort of embeds itself in everyday conversation and people's mm-hmm. consciousness in a way that organizations like mine can't always do. And so, you know, now we've gotten to a point where I don't, I still don't think we're paying enough attention to it. I still don't think we're prioritizing it in the way that it should be and dealing with it with the sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. But I can, definitely can say that we're at a different level of conversation mm-hmm. about it and a, a different level of attentiveness. Uh, and I'm saying that from the perspective of Washington, D.C., where I think mm-hmm. policymakers are trying to are starting to look at this very differently. So it just takes time. You know, it, it, these things don't always happen overnight, but we're we certainly have made a lot of progress in my short time here at the March of Dimes, and, which is four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Angelina, what do you think? I realize that I have a unique voice in that I am, yes, a storyteller, but I'm also a volatile comedian. Okay. So that's where the pushback for me came, (laughs) uh, with people, particularly organizations, not in the comedic world. I mean, I've gotten pushback on both sides, Mm. both in in the, on the organizational side and on the Hollywood side. Mm. Okay. So on, and I say organizational, I mean like nonprofits, policies, hospitals, brands, et cetera. On that side, you know, there's pushback or hesitancy because I am a comedian and I can say whatever it is I want. And usually comics go off the rails. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they can go off the rails and say crazy things, etc. So I'm a liability. I can be perceived as a liability mm-hmm. on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, I have been fundraising for my The Push for Permission documentary film that I'm currently crowdsourcing and mm-hmm you know, putting together and producing. And I went to a hospital and we had an amazing pitch meeting. We showed them all of our assets, all of the production companies and networks that are interested in our film. And they're like, well, we don't know what you're going to say. So there was hesitancy from that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm an artist first. I don't want to be censored. But I also realize their obligation to their board and mm. and those that keep the, the 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 organization functioning. So that's okay. What troubles me the most, I would say, is that Hollywood has pushed back in a way that reinforces the idea that you know you don't matter unless you're a celebrity mm-hmm. don't matter. Um, because quote, no one knows who you are. Mm. Um, and you know, I've had a number of production companies and networks tell me, well, well, why do we care that you have postpartum depression? 
We could ask Gwyneth Paltrow. We could ask this vegan or somebody. Yeah, exactly. And regardless of my messaging, my messaging is very different Mm -hmm. from a Mm -hmm. Beyonce. Definitely from a Gwyneth Paltrow because I'm a sister and I have a comedic voice. So there's going to be some levity. There's Mm going to be humor. There's going to be accessibility to my messaging. Mm. But in Hollywood, it doesn't matter because, quote unquote, no one knows who you are. So I that's why I have Mm. just been so hyper focused on my small donors and knocking on doors. And I'm just going to make the film, make the project that I want to see in the world. Mm. That's not triggering that moms can see themselves in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I've gained partnerships from organizations along the way. Mm -hmm. Hollywood is slow going, but it doesn't matter because I know that there's an audience Mm. for my work. And I know that there's value in it, whether or not I'm a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that level of candor too. Cause I mean, so, you know, speaking as a complete Hollywood outsider, just mm-hmm. hearing you talk about that just makes it sound like that the there isn't an emphasis on the message. Never. There's Whatsoever. emphasis on the money. And yeah. I get it. Listen, which is why I'm like, I will raise my own money mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. my own message out there mm-hmm. because I know that there's an audience for it. And right. it's slow going, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but we're doing it. Yeah. So yeah. in motion, nice. it's happening. And moms are reaching out to me in droves on social media mm-hmm. and organizations. You know, the University of Nairobi reached out. Wow. I started working with WHO, University mm-hmm. of South Africa. The Israeli government reached out and wants wow. me to come and do trainings and with doulas and birth. Hollywood is not the end all be all. Mm-hmm. My mission is bigger mm-hmm. than the nose. Right. It's really for the moms who are in distress, mm-hmm. the moms to be. So I'm clear on my audience. Yeah. Hollywood's gonna be late. Let them be late. That's mm-hmm. all right. Yep. And the way you've you've talked about that too, it sounds like people are able to relate, and that yeah. might be an advantage of the non-Hollywood route anyway. That people can see you for who you are, not have to worry about stature. Not to say that you're not accomplished, but just say, okay, this is someone I can relate to. They've gone through it. I can connect to them, and I think there's just such a power that comes with that. I, I agree, and you know, and I joke and I say, you know. Nobody knows who I am. So people care more, Mm. you know, and I have less to lose. So I can talk about, you know, my broken lady parts and how much I hated my husband after I had my daughter, Mm. because I'm not Serena Williams. You know, if Serena says that Mm. she has endorsed to break the internet, right? (laughs) And then that overshadows her yeah. tennis capability. The message, the message. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me, nobody knows me. So girl, you will get the whole, the whole full spectrum <laughs> of my business. Mm-hmm. And that makes it better, more accessible. Yeah. But I also think that, that, you know, so let's get to the message, right? Which is mm-hmm. that, I mean, how many people really do want to talk about mental mm-hmm. health in a really sincere yeah. way anyway? Yeah. Um, how many people actually want to hear about it in mm-hmm. a way that, um, you know, is not, uncomfortable for them. I mean, it's, it's just, um, you know, we, we have a, we are so, um, incapable right now or incapable of really, uh, acknowledging the degree to which we completely underfund, under resource, um, you know, the mental health challenges that, mm-hmm. that so many people in this country face. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about, women who are pregnant or who give birth and who are new moms 
But frankly, I mean, would, where we wouldn't even have an opioid crisis to the extent that we do if we didn't have a lot of people struggling mm-hmm. with their mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and, um, and, and this is not new, right? Like we've mm-hmm. been dealing with this for a long time. Um, and I think it's just really something that um, we are trying to get this message. I mean, so to the question about pushback, I mean, I think a big reason why we do see the pushback is that people are just really, really struggling with even how to mm. uh, acknowledge these issues and mm-hmm. talk about them and then frankly deal with them. Um, and I do think that's why it's so important that people, you know, even if um, Angelina is whatever level of celebrity she wants to call herself, she still has a huge following. She mm-hmm. has a huge voice. And I do think that it makes a big difference when people who are visible, who are in the public side, make themselves vulnerable mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to talk about these things because it helps all of us. Um, when I go to the Hill, if, if it helps me if a member of Congress has seen something on social media or a movie or a documentary, like I, then it makes it that much easier when yeah. we had to say, yeah, well, you know about that now, go ahead and give like however many millions of dollars we need mm-hmm. <laughs> to make sure that we have a 24 hour mental health hotline to, for, for new moms or to make sure we have the resources to make sure we have Medicaid coverage for women who are seeking those kinds of uh, supports and need mm-hmm. their coverage paid for, right? That it makes it that much easier. So it's all of these individual efforts that yeah. collectively roll up to something where we actually eventually have a movement mm-hmm. that actually moves the needle and, and and gets changed to a place where we can get help to the people that really need it. Yeah, yeah, it's so well said, and I'm so so glad that you're able to harness the power of all those components, even when you're on the hill, because I think that makes a huge difference. And I wanted to pick up on one of the things that you mentioned too, just in terms of us not knowing how to really engage and talk about it, um, because even as you mentioned, as I'm sure you all know the stats too. I mean, even before COVID, just thinking about mental health challenges in this country, one in five who are struggling with mental health in some shape or form. So when you break that down, most of us either personally, ourselves or family members or friends know somebody who's struggling in some shape or form with mental health, but we still don't know how to engage with it always. And we still don't fully acknowledge it. So I'm even thinking about, as you're talking about on the Hill, I would imagine most of the people in those rooms are in some shape or form touched by mental health challenges, but does that mean that we engage in it or not? And so I'm curious as to how, you know, as an organization and Angelina, as you, how, how you've try to address that piece of it too. Because a lot of times it's not far from where people live in, right. in, a, in a metaphorical sense, but in some ways it, it, there's this aspect of denial and not engaging. Yes. Yeah, I, I'll i just, I mean, one of the things I just think it's, um, it's not only everyday people and policymakers don't know how to engage. We even have healthcare providers that don't mm. even know how to ask these questions. We have you know, one in five women who are pregnant who never get asked mm-hmm. or screened for depression, mm-hmm. um, like Angelina, um, and um, and uh, even even more that don't get asked. Um, you know, during whether or not they're uh, having any kinds of um, signs or or symptoms of depression in in the postpartum phase. Um, when we look at maternal deaths overall, about one in nine maternal deaths are actually attributed to. Um, issues around maternal health. Um, So these issues are really life and death. And so Mm -hmm. part of what we've been saying is we need to, we need to make sure that everyone is aware of uh, where these issues show up. We need to have everyone prepared to see certain warning signs or symptoms 
that could help someone get referred to help the health they need. Mm -hmm. But we have to have our own healthcare professionals and the health and hospitals and healthcare providers absolutely focus on this and not willing to turn a blind eye to anxiety and stress or just like chalking it up as, oh yeah, well, that's normal. There's always a little postpartum depression. Well, <laughs> why is why should, even if that exists and we do see it, what onus or what responsibility do you have as a healthcare professional to screen for it, to refer women to um, the kinds of support that they may need, ask the question. And what we're really saying is some of those healthcare professionals aren't even the OBGYNs where women may not be even going back in for their follow-up visits after mm -hmm. the baby is born. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the pediatricians who right. need to be, and we're really glad pediatricians are, have this on their radar screen increasingly. So mm, to be screening for it during well child visits and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of raising awareness and making it more of a ongoing way of practicing medicine. Right. But but knowing that our health is not determined by what happens in the in the doctor's office mostly, mm -hmm. we have to have family members, community members, um, uh, clergy, and others mm -hmm. willing to talk about these issues and help our fellow you know, especially new moms, yeah. <laughs> um, if they see, uh, if they are, you know, showing signs that they're struggling and make it, uh, make it available for them mm. to acknowledge that they may be struggling and then find that help. I think Angelina's story around that is really powerful about, you know, how she eventually got to the help that she needed, but thank God that she was able to, to be in the hands of a care provider who mm. really paid attention to her, listened to her and found her the care that she needed and recognized it that she actually needed it because, you know, we, we, we would want to have seen a worse outcome for Angelina mm -hmm. or any other mother as a result of just giving birth to their child. Right. right? I mean, it's, it's it, no woman should have to struggle in that way. Yeah. So important it needs to be elevated all the way around, as you said, society wise, healthcare wise. And I love how you're, you know, tying in all different aspects, holistically clergy, community members, all we need to be on the same page together to really make sure the conversation doesn't get left. Angie, I wonder if you'd be able to, to share a little bit about what you learned in your journey too, and how that's informing the work that you're doing now, even as you're on it's tour. Journey. I'm on a journey. lot of journeys. That's true. <laughs> the journey with your with your uh with your postpartum after after the birth of your your child. Oh my gosh. Well, I I feel like I should give an abbreviated version of what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're willing, that'd be uh, great. Sure. No, I mean I tell my business for a living. So <laughs> let's have at it. Um yeah, so I and married. I like to tell people that because um, they think that, you know, black women don't get married, but I'm married. Uh, I've actually planned my daughter. Uh, that's another mm -hmm. stereotype and stigma. Yeah. Uh, yep. So married, uh, planned pregnancy, educated, middle class. Um, and again, I'm a planner. So mm -hmm. I planned mm -hmm. for this life, but I didn't mm -hmm. plan on developing postpartum depression. Um I had a doctor who I felt like really minimized my anxiety during mm -hmm. my pregnancy. And it was a developing anxiety because I was marked high risk towards the end. Mm -hmm. And I didn't recognize it as, as anxiety because I didn't know what I was really experiencing in mm -hmm. it. And I didn't know that it had a name. So, uh, you know, and there was so much preparation for the birth of my daughter that I wasn't really put, I didn't feel like I was put on the right track mm. to be prepared for once she actually got here. So when I pushed her out, there's a picture of me that's going to be in the film 
where I just looked afraid. Mm. I looked scared. And that was the first time they laid her on me. It was the first time I looked into her eyes and I was overwhelmed by my new responsibilities as her provider and, and protector. I just, I was scared. Mm. And then, you know, compound that with the sleepless nights, Mm -hmm. uh, with the aching body parts, um, the diapers, the, you know, my relationship with my husband was tested like all relationships Mm. are after you have children, you know, I just felt like everyone lied to me. Mm. I felt like my doctor's lied by not preparing me for Mm. what was to come. I felt like my friends, my peers, no one was honest about what their bodies had gone through. I just felt like everyone was kind of muscling through and, and forgetting, Mm. forgetting to tell me. Mm. So when I felt like I was having, experiencing depressive thoughts and intrusive thoughts, which I didn't know was a thing. Mm -hmm. Luckily I was under the care of a therapist for years. I had seen my therapist before I, um, like six years before I decided to have my daughter. And so she knew my baseline. Mm -hmm. We had a very good relationship and she was suggesting things to me over the months that I was literally trying to climb myself out. And one day at eight months postpartum, I went to her office and she recommended that I check into a psychiatric facility. And most people would be afraid. Uh, I was excited to go. I was relieved. It was time. It was time. It was time to feel better. I mm-hmm. wanted to feel better. I just didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And my therapist gave me permission to go to this place and get be taken care of. And, you know, they, all my meals were provided. It was it was a great time out that I didn't know that I could get mm-hmm. as a new mom. And, you know, and since then, I've just really been advocating for new moms, new families, new parents, and even mom, even women who are yet to become parents. Mm. I feel like we need to be honest with them about what this is really going to look like. Yeah, yeah. Not what you think it's going to look like. It's not going to be horrible. It's not bad, mm. but it's not what you're going to what you think it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. So, and to to your former point about uh, the pandemic and the stressors of the pandemic, I know for myself, the lockdown, the quarantine made me and homeschooling made me feel triggered. Mm. I felt extremely panicked and worried and I felt incapable Mm. all over again incapable of mothering Mm -hmm. and incapable of balancing and you know my husband and I decided after a few months that it was time for us to send our daughter back to daycare because I just wasn't able to manage but Mm. that was the best decision for our family at the time Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. needed the freedom to be able to say, I'm drowning. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were a lot of moms who felt, you know, the same symptoms of having postpartum depression during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there. And I appreciate you sharing that story as well. I mean, so many pieces that you're paying it forward in a sense too, because even as you were talking to your story, you know, talking about how you didn't have the language to know exactly what you were going through, even as someone who had already been in therapy. So I think that's a, that's a really critical point too to make sure that people, as we've already done, are having those conversations ahead of time 
and know what to expect and how to move through it. Um, because even as, I mean, both, both sides are working simultaneously, even as you all are doing, trying to make sure the healthcare workers are providing that information, yes. having those who are going through it, have that information as well. And so when the misses still happen to be able to tackle it from both sides in a sense, I think is, is hugely important. Yes. And then everything think, you mentioned, Oh, go ahead, Stacey. Well, one thing I want to say about mm-hmm. what Angelina said is that I think that idea that when you. So for a lot of, I mean, I'll just speak to my own experience because it's, I mean, I didn't go through the level of postpartum depression that Angelina experienced, but I do think that there is something about becoming a new mother that is incredibly shocking. And Mm. like, um, I don't think anyone is ever, I, I can't imagine that anyone is, I mean, if you're well prepared for motherhood, as soon as it hits, like, God bless you. Right. Cause <laughs> I think it is such an out of, body. you're like literally having an out of body experience. And it's, um, I, I remember feeling like the same thing when Angelina said, which was like, they lied to me. Cause I was, you know, everyone says, Oh, motherhood is so beautiful and wonderful. And you're going to love it. And honestly, the first few days, weeks are, so incredibly hard Mm. it is hard and and this is for someone like someone like me who didn't have to deal with as many of the mental health challenges Mm -hmm. it didn't matter it was incredibly difficult and and I was someone who had already like I had my kids really late I mean my first daughter was born when I was 38 Mm. And I, by then I'd been in the work work world and I'd Mm -hmm, done all these mm -hmm. things in my career. And so to be home for four months at home by myself Mm -hmm. with my child who cannot speak to me, Mm -hmm. I cannot have a Mm -hmm. cogent conversation (laughs) with this little child. (laughs) And then was like, I, I was like, I don't think I'll survive this. This is so hard. So I think, and then of course, all of your physiological changes mm-hmm. are complicating how you process all this, mm-hmm. all the lack of sleep, trying to eat healthy, 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 eat it all, first of mm-hmm. all. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like all sort of combined mm-hmm. with each other into like a whole, and then, you know, and then you get, for a lot of women, you get past the that first three months or first six months, whatever. And things start to kind of, they're still difficult. You're not getting, still not getting sleep, but it starts to kind of settle in. But I just think we've got to do a different, a better Mm -hmm. job helping Mm -hmm. women prepare for motherhood in a very realistic way. So that things like Angelina, where you don't get, feel like you get hit by two by four when the baby comes, you actually are prepared to say, Mm -hmm. okay, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. And it's going to start second one when that yes. baby comes mm-hmm. <laughs> in the hospital when that baby's on your chest you're like oh okay beginning. yeah i'm mm-hmm. gonna engage the plan absolutely <laughs> right exactly yes you know, i think that's so important that you're verbalizing and vocalizing that too so people aren't surprised even though i'm sure i mean there's no way and obviously right. I can't speak there's no way no way to prepare completely 100 least to have the expectation that you won't be able to prepare completely yeah. And that there are some things that you can do mm. to set yourself up for some mm. level of success. Mm. And for me, had I known the information, I would have planned differently. Mm. I would have hired a postpartum doula. Right. I would have, you know, I would have made sure that my husband, you know, banked vacation days so mm. that he could stay home, mm-hmm. you know, longer with me. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I would have taken a second job to pay for childcare. Because mm-hmm. that's what I, I needed relief. 
Mm-hmm. So going in, knowing what you can handle and what mm-hmm. resources you can call on, yeah. whatever it takes, you know, you will, you can, you can at least engage the plan to, mm-hmm. so that you're not so overwhelmed and right. so disengaged from yeah. your reality. It's yeah. also like, I mean, this is where we look at the U.S. and compare ourselves to other countries, right? In other countries, you do have midwives. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, why don't we have a whole uh, program um, where everyone, irrespective of income or anything, mm-hmm. can access a, a, a doula mm-hmm. during pregnancy and childbirth and even postpartum? Mm-hmm. Why don't we have the resources in this country to pay for that and make that available to any woman that may need it? Mm-hmm. Why don't we have paid family leave in this country, mm-hmm. which is pretty standard in other countries, mm-hmm. right? Why don't we provide... Um, you know, um, nursing and home visit visitation the way, you know, it exists in other countries. Mm -hmm. You know, why don't we have universal coverage? So if women are experiencing, you know, mental health challenges, they have the resource. I'm like, there are so many levels Mm -hmm. of where we have underinvested in our human capital Mm -hmm. that show up in all of the things that Angelina talks about in her own story that we see in the, in the statistics around maternal and infant health. Mm. And frankly, I'm not saying writing a check and putting more money in these things actually eliminates the problem because then we have the other issue, especially as it relates to black and brown women, mm-hmm. where just the basic uh, effects of racism and discrimination impact mm-hmm. us on a daily basis and that skews the outcomes as well, disproportionately mm-hmm. relative to women that look like me and Angelina. Mm-hmm. But having said that, a lot of this, and when you look at ways in which to address anti-racism and bias in this country, you know, policy solutions are at the core of, mm-hmm. of what we can start to do to reverse some of the impacts of what mm-hmm. we've been experiencing over generations and that we're still living with. And mm-hmm. frankly, to be in a country this wealthy and and to not being provided the basic bare minimum mm-hmm. for for women um, as they're bringing a new life in the world is just simply unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just and it's and it's why I think both of us are so passionate around yeah. like we can't live in this world and society mm-hmm. uh, and and tolerate this, and we shouldn't right. tolerate for any for yeah. any for any length of time. Yeah, very well said. And I think this the support the support isn't there. I think that's what Angelina was yeah, referring exactly. to and what you're and articulating as well. Just it's so critical, but yeah. so lacking. We need the policy support. You know, that's a huge component mm-hmm. of the work I do also. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, moms in California, I worked on legislation there to help with expanding screenings mm-hmm. and also training physicians, because as Stacy mentioned, you know, doctors and labor and delivery nurses and folks in, in L and D just in general may not mm-hmm. know how to implement these trainings mm-hmm. or these screenings. So there needs to be resources and time that's invested to make sure that they're able to now do this work. And also when red flags are raised, mm-hmm. where do we send these moms? Right. You know, I was reaching out to my OBGYN at, you know, two weeks after my eight week checkup, like, hey, I'm, I need more resources. I need help. I need medication. I need a therapist. And she was just kind of like a deer in headlights. Oh boy. You know, yeah. And then she prescribed it, the 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 medication to me, but never followed up. So, you know, there's there's more work to be done, mm-hmm. especially on the policy level. You know, so that's a part of the reason why I did the postpartum revolution trip mm-hmm. was so that we could advocate. 
for the same, for moms to have the same exact treatment in California, all over the country. Mm. There's no reason why moms in North Dakota or in Tennessee, where their reproductive rights are in jeopardy and, you know, are constantly up for debate and on the ballot box, but there's no reinforcement or there's no help Mm. once the babies are here Mm -hmm. for mom. Yeah. It's one of the big reasons why, you know, one of the things that we advocate for, you know, when we're pushing for at the federal level is, is momnibus, which is a Mm -hmm. whole bunch of legislative actions Mm -hmm. that would address all these things from maternal mental health to, Mm -hmm. you know, all the issues of reshaping the perinatal workforce so we can have more doulas and midwives Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, a whole range of other, uh, other aspects. You know, the other thing at the March Dimes we've done is like introduce a lot of programs to provide additional levels of support. So Mm -hmm. for example, we've, and we even trans trans um, uh, transferred to a virtual program around supportive pregnancy care, really group prenatal care, which mm-hmm. really allows women to go through their prenatal care, obviously checking in with their physician, mm-hmm. but also checking in with other moms that are pregnant along with them oh, so, so that you can have an honest conversation with other women that might be experiencing some of the same things mm-hmm. and then continuing that kind of group care into the postpartum phase. Right. Because just when, I mean, when the baby you know, when the baby comes, just the beginning of your problems, right? It's like now you have a whole set of other issues to mm. deal with and you still need that support, yeah. you know, postpartum as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and the last thing I have to say too is going back to this issue of um, how the healthcare system needs to acknowledge the unique challenges that black and brown women face mm-hmm. um, and how we know that the healthcare system does not listen to mm-hmm. us and respond to us in the ways that we need. Um, we introduced an implicit bias training program for healthcare mm. professionals about two years ago. We've trained okay. 15,000 wow. healthcare professionals to recognize their implicit bias. Mm. And now we have a new component which starts to go through different scenarios. So you can play Ooh, out right. what scenarios look yep. like to see yep. where your implicit bias actually does show up in your day-to-day interactions with your mm-hmm. patients. So and not just doctors and nurses, it's really even like um, the front desk receptionist who yeah. like yeah. gives you a through. side eye when you show yeah. your Medicaid card, right? Which mm-hmm. is like all of a sudden now I don't want to come back to this right. clinic because I don't feel I don't feel valued. I don't mm-hmm. I feel like I feel diminished, right? Um, and that happens far too often. Mm-hmm. And um, and so there are all these things we need, but we we just have to do this at scale if we're gonna see yeah. these kinds of outcomes improve in our lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really encouraging to hear all the steps that you all have taken uh, across the board because it's and it's, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, you're dealing with a system yeah. that's already at so many levels, even as you mentioned, from receptionists all the way up, there's going to be so many biases along the way and each step along the way is going to have impact. So, yes. Even as I know, the time is going fast, which is, which is unfortunate in a sense, but I did want to kind of tie it back to this idea of the strong black woman because you've talked about you know, the things that you've done on the policy side and things like that. But I'm also curious just how, as you're working in different communities and in communities of color in particular, how people are embracing of this, this need for support along the way, or is there still this tension of, well, as strong black women, we don't need to tap into this. I'm just curious how that, how is that conversation going? I'm going to go to Angelina first since I see you smiling (laughs) as I'm, (laughs) as I'm making those comments. Well, Stacey has seen my comedy special that we are touring around the country with. I have a whole section Mm. that addresses the strong Black woman. Mm. (laughs) Because that myth, Mm. we've got to flip that on its head. Mm. Strength is asking for help. Mm -hmm. Strength is saving the money so that you can pay the help. Guilt-free. 
Mm. Strength is employing people to make your life easier. Mm. Strength is enjoying luxury. As Black women, mm-hmm. we are, because we don't have a history mm-hmm. of indulging in, in, in these kinds of things, we don't have, when we are a- suddenly able to, we kind of had this guilt or, we, we, you know, we've, we're, or there's shame and judgment mm-hmm. from family, from friends. There's a whole thing behind it. But I, you know, I always tell people strength is really, truly in asking mm-hmm. and allowing people to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my problem was, was that I didn't know what to ask for mm. to be helped. And that's where the preparation for me would have come in. Had mm. I known what to expect, I would have been prepared with what to ask for, yeah. but then also allowing people to help you. Uh, I allowed my therapist to help me. That was her job. I allowed my mom to help me, but I didn't allow my cousins and my other supportive family members to help until I was in crisis. Mm. And that's what I I know, you know, moving forward that I tell black women and mothers, mothers in general, we feel like we should be able to do it all, Mm. you know, carry a baby in the front, one in the back, push one in the stroller, you know, answer work emails on a call, on a Zoom, all at the same, mama, we ain't got to do all that. No, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. We need to have a seat. But the the strong Black woman, Mm. the strong Black woman asks for help. Mm. So sisters, let's start asking for help and receiving the help. Yeah. So good. You know, um, there's no question Black women have been, have had to be Mm -hmm. incredibly resilient over many, many generations. And um, you know, it's funny because I go back to the um, the book about leaning in, remember, Sheryl Sandberg. And I, I remember thinking how absurd, mm-hmm. you know, the idea to have the choice to lean in. Should I lean in or not? It's like, mm-hmm. well, Black women haven't actually had that choice, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, we, like, we don't have a choice but to lean in. Like, the, like our families are dependent on us. Like, you know, the world falls apart if we fall apart. Like, it's mm-hmm. actually that's how it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I think we have to, I think we can be both proud of that. We have proven time and time again, that we are always ready and willing to rise the challenge and to do what is necessary. But we have to also acknowledge that that has traditionally come at an extraordinary cost Mm -hmm. to our health and to our both mental health and physical health, there was research done on, on weathering the idea of weathering, which Mm. is kind of how our health uh, deteriorates over time because of just the lived experience of being Mm. a black woman in this country. Mm. And that weathering then has an impact on our birth, on birth outcomes Mm. for our own babies, Mm. that that stress and anxiety layered on layered year after year, generation after generation actually deteriorates our lives and our physical health and, that is not okay. Mm-hmm. It is not okay for us to live in a, a, a way where we're constantly on adrenaline, right. constantly on fight or flight, because that eventually wears us down to the point mm-hmm. where we see all these chronic health conditions. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've told this story long, many stories, uh, Angela's heard me say this about my own experience of growing up with my dad, who was a physician, and him having all these patients that have stress and anxiety. But what, what, but what they also had was chronic obesity, hypertension, Mm -hmm. diabetes, but he often mostly diagnosed them with with anxiety Mm. first. 
like, and this was in the 60, 50s, 60s, 70s. Like he even saw and recognized, and although he, I don't know that there was as much research out at that time, but Mm -hmm. he was actually documenting Mm -hmm. the connection between stress and anxiety and these Mm -hmm. other chronic health health conditions. And I carried that thought. I have carried Mm -hmm. that thought with me my entire life until Mm -hmm. I walked into the, to the, offices of the Marsh Labs became the president CEO and started to see the actual research mm-hmm. to, to the, the evidence around this. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here we are today. All, all we got, all we can do right now is to say one, we have got to make sure that women, especially women of color, find a place in a space in this country. And I'm, and I call out the United States in particular, mm. although we could say this is a global thing, but in this particular country, we have a unique experience of having to still address the legacy and of sla- slavery that has, and we're still feeling the effects of that mm-hmm. today, today. And what we what we ought to do in this generation that we are the leaders of right now is to call attention to it and to try to do as much as we can to reverse the impact so that Ava, who is Angelina's daughter, or my daughters, Maddie and Savannah, do not have to continue to live in a world in which they are continued to be, they're they're subjected to the same level of kind of oppressiveness Mm -hmm. that so many black and brown women have to face in this country. That shouldn't, we should, we have to do everything we can. Fortunately, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of many black women Mm -hmm. and brown women who fought very hard. It is our job to continue that fight and to elevate that fight, elevate it, do even more, you know? Mm-hmm. So important. And you're right in terms of the legacy and just the need to move things forward. I mean, mm-hmm. it's even encouraging to hear, encouraging and, and sobering to hear the story about your father as well, documenting those things at that time. Cause as you mentioned, that wasn't highly documented. I mean, there's more evidence for that now clearly and just the detrimental effects of racism on mental health and so many other aspects of, of our health and especially for black yeah. women. So well, I'm deeply appreciative to what you're both doing in that way. And to wrap up, I just wanted to also just hear what gives you hope in this mm-hmm. moment with all the challenges that clearly still need to be addressed um, in so many ways around mom health, uh, mom and baby health, mom's mental health. But what, what gives you hope moving forward? Well, I'll start. It What gives me hope is seeing the impact of the work, mm. seeing the impact of, of seeing the impact of, you know, an idea that I had, or you know, to take a risk and share the fact that I was admitted to a psychiatric facility mm-hmm. on social media, mm. and to see moms open up to me and ask me to help them check into a psychiatric facility mm, wow. to facilitate that, that gives me hope. Wow. It gives me hope, you know, to see my daughter Ava and to see that she at six years old has the language, not quite the understanding just yet, mm-hmm. but she has the language of the postpartum revolution, mm. postpartum depression, helping moms, helping families, helping babies, that gives me hope. Mm. Um, There's still a lot more work to do. Mm -hmm. You know, on the postpartum revolution road trip, I recently met with uh, Congresswoman uh, Lisa Blunt Rochester, who is, uh, she's working on the mom to bus and she's- She's awesome. (laughs) A dynamite woman Mm. who, like Stacy, 
we, I had an immediate connection with. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, had a very great policy meeting with uh, Congresswoman Yvette Clark uh, on the Hill. And both women are super supportive mm. of my mission and my goal to help uh, formulate legislation to support new moms and to work with uh, those of us who worked on the bill in California, the bills on California to make federal legislation, that gives me hope. Wow. The fact that mm-hmm. these women are willing to meet with me, an average woman who, as Hollywood says, no one knows who you are, but these women took the time mm-hmm. to hear me and to meet with me and their policy directors so that we can help moms who are in similar situations, but also help moms avoid similar mm-hmm. situations. Yeah. That gives me hope. Yeah. Yeah. I think what gives me hope is just the momentum, Um, you know, again, just seeing how we're having different kind of conversations where, you know, we weren't having these conversations before, Um, you know, I can see minds being open to really understanding these issues. I can see people not being so quick to diminish, you know, if a woman has a problem with her pregnancy, it must be her fault. It's not her fault, right? And people are starting to say, wait a minute, maybe there's something more systemically yeah. wrong here. Um, and that's and that's where in Washington, I mean, that's in both sides of the aisle. I see Republicans, I mean, when I see Republican members of Congress who are like moved, literally authentically moved to tears when mm-hmm. they hear a story like from Charles Johnson about mm-hmm. losing his wife, Kira, you know, hours after their second child was born. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are these are human issues. Mm-hmm. And we're living at a time when there's a lot that doesn't make sense and there's a lot of craziness that goes on and there's a lot of things that people don't believe, a lot of facts people just don't are willing to accept mm. and a lot of people that other people are willing to d- dismiss mm-hmm. as if their concerns or issues don't matter. And what I'm finding is that at least on the issue of mom and baby health, there is there is the ability to find some common ground. Um, We were at an event last week with uh, two Republican members of Congress and two Democratic members. Mm -hmm. And one of them said, I love um, coming to a March of Dimes event because I think this is the one place where Republicans and Democrats can agree. And they weren't talking about just March of Dimes. They're really talking about the bigger issues that we're working on. But that is encouraging and inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. So I think we just got to keep that momentum going, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. again, I'm deeply appreciative to both of you for the work that you're doing. Also for both of you taking time to come on this podcast. I know this is going to be something that our listeners are going to really resonate with. Any place well, Thank you for doing to this out? too. You're doing a great job. We appreciate oh. it. It oh, gives me you. hope that you as a black man are giving the sisters mm. the space. That's <laughs> right. At least oh, I can do. <laughs> the space, but, but the awareness of mm. your audience to mm-hmm. value what to value these issues i'm mm-hmm. just like come on that gives me hope black uh, man come on yeah, now uh, a Yale, and, and here it says a yale professor and researcher a man of faith and a sports and hip-hop fan is our host how about that how about that <laughs> <laughs> oh, balance. bring it yes. full circle <laughs> I'm, I'm deeply appreciative and again just to see what you all are doing as, as, as black women so so encouraging the least i can do to amplify it because your voices are being heard, need to be heard more. So I'm playing my part. I'm in the background this time. So <laughs> deeply appreciate so both of you. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, check out things at March of Dimes, AngelinaSpicer.com. More information, postpartum revolution. Definitely important work and appreciate what you're both doing. Thanks so much.
Thank you. 